Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. It is our final week of Ashes to Easter, and tonight's story of resurrection is about Tabitha. After four weeks of men, we end with a woman's story. Makes my little girl heart just pitter-patter. Nicodemus, Lazarus, Saul, and Eutychus are followed by Tabitha, the first and only woman in the New Testament to be called a disciple. There are plenty of women that we assume qualify as a disciple in the New Testament, but none are actually named disciples. That word, disciple, is only feminized one time, and it is to describe this woman in the book of Acts, which I think is pretty impressive to be the one and only. But one wonders why. Why was she the one and only? What made her so special? Why did she get to be called a disciple? It wasn't because she was the only one that was resurrected. There was another woman who was resurrected, and that one wasn't called the disciple. And it wasn't because she was particularly special to Jesus. She was not a contemporary of his. She did not walk with him. She only enters the picture after his death and resurrection and ascension. So what is it about her that makes her such a disciple? Well, let's read Acts 9, verses 36 to 43, and hear her story. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time she became ill and died. When they washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up, and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Here ends the reading. So why was she called a disciple? Because you couldn't deny that she was doing the work of a disciple which I'm sure was the case for many women, but Tabitha so clearly outworks everyone around her. She was devoted to good works, they said, and acts of charity, and widows filled the room upon her death to show Peter all the clothing she has made for them, all the widows of Joppa, can you imagine? And clothing widows would have been an enormous undertaking, both financially and physically, and yet she did it. These were destitute women, with no hope of a future and no way to earn an income to clothe themselves. 
and so often forgotten and cast aside. It's no wonder they're beside themselves to lose her. Who will care for them now? And I wonder if Tabitha ever worried about that in her life. Did she ever ask herself, well, who is going to take care of all this when I die? When I was a stay-at-home mom with my older children, I'd look around at the laundry and the dirty dishes, and I'd wonder, what would happen if I didn't do them? I think someone else would. And I would fantasize and developed a theory over time that if I went on a vacation by myself, I'd come home to find that no one had bathed in five days. And that the only thing left in the fridge would be a jar of mayonnaise. And when I read this story through those eyes, it sort of supports my theory. There's no mention of among the disciples that they needed to figure out now what to do with Tabitha's ministry. No, they, they look around at all these needy widows and all they can think to do is send two men to find Peter so that they can resurrect Tabitha and get her back to work. <laughs> and even if it's not just cynical housewife Candace reading this text, Tabitha's name supports my theory too. Her name, her Hebrew name is Tabitha and it means gazelle. Those powerfully swift creatures with seemingly boundless energy that take off at a moment's notice at a full-out run. That's her name at her birth. The name given to her by her parents before they could possibly know her personality. But when the Greeks meet her in adulthood, they give her this name Dorcas. And guess what that means? Gazelle meaning that she was so living into this name that they kept calling her that. There was no denying. So I can see why there might be some panic at her death. Who could possibly fill her shoes and do all the work that she's been doing? Now, I don't have answers to all these questions. This is the only text we have about Tabitha, and she disappears just as quickly from the New Testament as she comes on the scene. So I can't really make any claims. But what I want to do tonight is just wonder. I just want to wonder with you. I wonder, was Tabitha worn out? Was no one else stepping in to help her? Did she need more rest? I wonder, was she tired of running like a gazelle? Did the countless numbers of widows coming to her door exhaust her even as she kept on sewing and sewing and sewing? Did her body just give out? Is that why she got so sick so suddenly? I remember when uh, my ex-husband would return from deployments. He always got sick a week or two after he came home. And you can make the argument that maybe he was just getting exposed to all the germs that he'd missed while he was away. But I also think he was just exhausted. And it finally caught up with him when he got home and his body said, okay, no more. I'm going to put you down. And I wonder if that's what's going on with Tabitha. And I think this story of resurrection can offer us a chance to do some discerning and ask some hard questions not only of her situation, but of ours.
Now, every pastor on their way to becoming a pastor has to do an internship year. And I did mine at Bethel Lutheran Church in University City across the river about 10 years ago. And one of my jobs was to serve as an assisting minister every Sunday morning. And so I did. Every Sunday morning, I'd show up. And what I was so delighted to find out is that when I showed up to assist, I would find laying out for me already in the sacristy my robe and the appropriate colored cincture for the season, that little rope that they tie around you, which I have ceremoniously done away with here, will, will not be tied in. <laughs> and a hymnal, for goodness sake, two hymnals, one for Pastor Yancey and one for me, were, was laid out on the altar every Sunday, and not only just laid out, but all of the ribbons put to all the pages we would need with the hymns, you know, old school style. And I don't, I know, I, it does happen still. People use those hymnals from time to time. And I don't remember thinking to ask who did that or why they did. I was just happy it was done. This isn't a message to you, Jane, about how to treat me on Sunday mornings. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not disappointed in any way, shape, or form with what goes on here. <laughs> but one Sunday morning, I get to church, and the front door was locked. And I think, well, that's odd. It's never been locked before. But I have a key, so I let myself in. And I come in, and I find out that the lights have not been turned on yet. And then I see that the bulletins aren't out yet, nor is the baptismal font filled. And we had a baptism, so I, that was strange to me, too. And so I'm just standing there and doing all this stuff myself. And uh, <laughs> a few minutes later, Pastor Yancey comes in, and he thinks, well, this is strange. You know, my, my hymnal's not out. And... And I asked him, well, what do you think's going on? He said, oh my gosh, I better make a phone call. And it turns out, Debbie was sick. Debbie was their Jane. <laughs> the person behind everything that magically happened on Sunday mornings. Not just with my robe and cincture and hymnal, but it turns out she did all kinds of stuff on Sunday morning. She was like the uber volunteer. And I had no idea everything she did. And all kinds of people had no idea everything she did. And as a community, it gave us some pause. And we had to do some discerning. First, we, ha we had to make sure Debbie was okay. And we had to support her, and we had to help her get well, which we did. But then we had to wake up and realize we needed to support her in other ways, and we needed to share this ministry load with her, and she needed permission to advocate for herself. We needed resurrection all over the place. She needed resurrection from exhaustion. We needed resurrection from idleness. That is what this text can offer us today, a chance to discern where are we at in our lives right now. Do you need resurrection from exhaustion? Or do you need resurrection from idleness? Maybe you're in a place in life where I must confess that I find myself from time to time. When you're looking at all those Habitat for Humanity houses being built, or you're looking at all the people who get fed at community meals, or you're seeing all the families that the food pantry is serving right now, and you're wondering, well, who does all that? It's Tabitha. And she probably needs some help. Because all the Tabithas I know are terrible at advocating for themselves and need us to reach in and say, I'm helping you 
whether you like it or not. But oftentimes, that's not where you're at, the one wondering who's doing all the work. If you're wondering if you can continue to do it all, you can't, Tabitha. You can't. If you are dreaming up schemes to escape all of your commitments, it's time for a Sabbath. And since we don't have Peter to call on to resurrect you, you're going to have to do what Tabitha couldn't do. Advocate for yourself, or at the very least, hear permission from this text saying, you can take rest. You can take rest in your family. You can take rest in your work. You can take rest in your service. And the Sabbath rest doesn't last forever, but it is enough. And I promise the widows will still be in all those places when you've recovered your strength and energy. So on this last Lenten Wednesday, speak to us, Lord, through this text. Whether we need resurrection from idleness or whether we need resurrection from exhaustion, give us the courage to be honest about where we are at and the strength to act on that truth. And Holy Spirit, be with us and this community as we discern in the spirit of our sister and disciple, Tabitha. May she give us all the strength and courage we need. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at Faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you, and I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.